And welcome back to the podcast, everything you never need to know about movies, music, and theater. I am once again your host, Matt Garland, and I am very excited to um, be recording today and get to talk to you all. So in the last two episodes, um, I talked about uh, a musical, Les Mis, and I talked about Lincoln, and then obviously we had that slight break with the radio play. And I've been racking my brain on which album or artist or, you know, where in the music area should I, what should I talk about first? And one thing I've kind of started to notice in the pod, in the episodes leading to this, that I've been talking about things that I like. So I want to continue talking about things I like. Um, for anyone who's curious, I will be getting into talking about musicals, movies, and music that I think is dreadful. So don't worry, there will be negativity and criticism coming forward. Um, I just really want to start everything and, and go through things and see how, see really how I feel about certain things. Um, and so I, that's kind of how the podcast is going to go. There will be episodes where I'm praising the thing and talking about how wonderful it is. And there are times when I'll be like this piece of garbage. Um, so I, I'll make you aware of all that, um, you know, and I will be also, there will be more radio plays coming. So if any, if y- y'all liked the Christmas gift radio play that I posted, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, um, please, by all means, uh, uh, make sure you check that out. And, um, at the top, make sure you check out, um, the other podcast I'm on, um, Mass Mouse Fans, which is, um, I've told, uh, Chris Rose, who, is the host of that show that um, uh, that is my first and foremost uh, commitment because I agreed to do that first. This is kind of just fun to do with and uh, allow me to basically talk out loud about some of the things I love. So today's episode, I want to get into something um, that's quite interesting that I don't know if enough people know about or, you know, to me, so a little background on me as well. I didn't grow up, um, you know, I grew up in the nineties. So, but I didn't grow up listening to, um, you know, the stuff in the nineties. I actually didn't listen. I didn't hear Backstreet Boys or anything like that until probably in the mid nineties to late nineties. Um, when I was a kid, there was three, yeah, three different types of music going on in my house. Um, for my mom was musical theater, uh, as you can tell, she loved musical theater, and from and and she also loved eighties. So, stuff with Michael Jackson, uh, um, the the Barge, uh, you know, Gloria Estefan. Um, she was also part of a uh, aerobic um, thing where they play stuff with really good beats. So my mom listened to all that kind of stuff. And then my dad would listen to the oldies. So I would listen, I heard Elvis Presley, the Beatles, um, Rolling Stones, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, um, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, and uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, the Association. I heard all these, the Turtles, I heard all these, these songs before I heard anything of my generations. So... 
that's where I'm coming from with a lot of my music is the early oldies um, stuff and kind of why I still cling you know to my rock background that I'd prefer to write rock songs as opposed to pop songs of today you know my songs are not of today they're very different so um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from um, but the one album I want to start talking about or have it be my first episode about music is one that really is ingrained into my soul and into everything I do and I think about pretty much on a daily basis and that's um, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds. Um, for those who don't know the Beach Boys and you really should, um, the Beach Boys was predominantly a family band. It was led by Brian Wilson who was the bassist, uh, Carl Wilson who was on guitars, Dennis Wilson who was on drums, and then also on guitars was their childhood friend Al Jardine, and then on vocals as well, on mostly lead vocals, was Mike Love, who uh, was their cousin. So the so it's basically the Wilsons, the Loves, and Al Jardine. And you would know their early stuff of like Surfing Safari, Surfing USA, um, all those kind of really nice surfing rock songs, you know, of the late 60s and early 70s. Um, and they were all mostly written by uh, Mike Love and Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson basically being, if anyone doesn't know <laughs> the genius of Brian Wilson, you really need to get into the know because this guy is brilliant. He had like 20 number one hits by the time he was 21 or something like that. He was very, very young, and he heard music all the time. He was he was a protege, and he really was a br brilliant with music and arranging and hearing these vocals in theirs in his head to the point where he could then give it to the band, and they made these beautiful harmonies. I mean, listen to the song "In My Room." That is to me absolute peak of Brian Wilson because he's singing you know there's a place where I can go and and share all my dreams and it's in my room which is prolific later we'll talk about but um but they were having some relative hits and um they also seemed to be the American version people were calling them at the time the American version of the Beatles because they were writing their own songs, they were putting out their own albums, um, and the Beatles were kind of looking at them going, okay, you know, that was their competition. Um, and they were managed by Brian, Carl, and Dennis's father, uh, Murray Wilson. And this man is infamous in all the circles of music in the sense of he was not a great uh, uh, songwriter. He wanted to be a songwriter like Brian, but he... Um, couldn't be a, he was not a very good songwriter, and so he parlayed that into um, managing and producing their albums, which he bullied them and called them names, you know, talked condescendingly to them. I mean, he made the process incredibly, incredibly uh, difficult for for all of them, not just Brian, but, but all of them. And um, it, it's really sad, and so 
at, at this point, Brian has finally disconnected himself from him. Doesn't want anything, you know, they fire them, and, and Brian becomes the producer. And the thing that, I mean, it's it's not so much... It, it's not revolutionary idea now, but Brian was under the understanding that he was not just writing song after song after song and kind of being like, well, it is what, what it is. He had to feel it within his soul. He had to really dig deep and feel like this song was him and was everything about him rolled into one. And so he couldn't just write pop songs. He was getting tired of that. And he really wanted to write something new. Now, you also have to go into the fact that this is the late 60s, so everyone's doing all kinds of drugs and, and you know, not just pot. You know, I mean, pot is, you know, not as bad, but you're talking LSD and acid and, and hallucinogens and that type of thing. So it's a, it, it's, you know... That's the other thing that inspires his creativity, which he does later say, you know, that he got so much from hallucinogenics and cocaine and all that kind of stuff, but that it ultimately ended up being his downfall, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, so where he's coming with Pet Sounds is he's, he's tired of touring with the band and he has gotten the, uh, approval and the okay from the rest of the band to basically just stay home and write songs and the guys will go out now adding Bruce Johnston um, they can go out and um, uh, uh, tour and go to the crowds and bring the music to the masses and Brian just has to sit at home and write music and that seems like a good enough thing so what ends up happening is Brian gets together with a lyricist by the name of Tony Asher, who's actually a, uh, a jingle commercial writer, and they start talking about things, and they write music that is not at all like what the Beatles, the, the Beach Boys were putting out. I mean, these were these uh, uh, the songs before Pet Sounds were all like. You know, we're going to get this girl, and we're going to see this girl, and let's fall in love, and all that kind of stuff. And what they, what what Tony Asher and uh, Brian Wilson were writing about now was so deep and so thought-provoking. And the music he was writing, you know, you go from Surf and Safari, which is basically basically a guitar playing a Chuck Berry riff for two minutes to a song about, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were together so we wouldn't have to keep saying goodbye? And if there are guitars in there, you can't hear them because <laughs> Brian does something very... He does something that has been done before, but is something that to him is revolutionary. He gets together with uh, uh, some session musicians who, there is a documentary about them, and the, 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 the fact that these people were around and that they, you know, they should get more credit than they are now. They're called the Wrecking Crew. And it was basically a backing band that would go to various 
studio gigs with Phil Spector and uh, Frank Sinatra and all this, and they would just play in the background. And but they were the best players ever, you know. Uh, of these were people who you would never know their names. You would never know who this person is or 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 anything like that. But the fa- but the fact is they played on so many of and some of the best um records and albums ever you know uh, uh i'd love to start naming them there's so many of them i mean glenn campbell started as one of them um but you've got you know you got people like uh, hal blaine is one name that always pops up when people talk about um um musicians that are a part of the wrecking crew um you're talking about carol kane and uh um you know jerry williams and uh lyle ritz and uh um barney kessler and uh ray pullman and uh uh you know al deloy and uh you know bill green and you know all these different musicians and things um so so he was he wasn't even using the band the band was going to be used basically for their vocals um um to to you know to um to get that harmony sound and um but these session musicians were going to be the ones who were going to be doing most of the recording most of the um the work if you will um and again if you haven't listened to the album at all you really need to listen to this album um so brian is there recording with the 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 wrecking crew and they're all astounded by his talent because he's telling them not to just do play bar 36 he's telling them no no make it sound like jingle bells make it sound like train tracks make it sound like this and that like he was he he's very specific but at the same time he he allows the playfulness of these musicians to come about and the musicians loved him they absolutely loved him and so he's excited about these tracks these grooves and the band comes back and he plays them all and he gets less of a uh he gets much less of a um, rousing, enthusiastic response from the band. Um, they're pissed. They hate it. Uh, Mike Love, specifically, because he says, this is not the formula. Because Mike Love, say what you want about him, but he has always been, this is what we need to do to get a following and to keep the following, and this is the kind of music they like. You can say that that's kind of... A dickish move and I I do think to a certain extent Mike Love is a dick Um, and I have no problem saying that to his face but he understands how music the music company worked at the time I think ultimately he was wrong that the you know he didn't like them and he felt this wasn't good for their image and flash forward Pet Sounds is not one of the more well-received albums in terms of commercial success 
critical success is off the charts. They love him, and the Beatles loved this album, and it then inspired Rubber Soul. That's where you get into this uh, uh, competition stuff between the two. So it's very, very interesting with with everything um, that happened. But they got through it, um, and it led Brian to wanting to do more experimental stuff, which in another episode we'll talk about Smile. Because it does lead to Smile and Good Vibrations, but then ultimately leading to... Uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, a bit of a uh, crack in the foundation, which is Brian Wilson's mental health, which is very sad. And um, But that's a story for another time. But I want to talk more about Pet Sounds. So the first song that you hear off of the album is Wouldn't It Be Nice. This is a song that's basically a young couple, they've fallen in love, and I always imagine it's a young couple at the end of the night when, you know, they're saying, uh, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we were older and we could just go off and get married and have a life? And, uh, you know, it's it's the daydreaming. And it's probably one of the only ha- really happy songs in the entire album. But there's even a little bit of sadness, in, you know. And, you know, you listen to it, there's so much going on, but that, that, those lyrics of wouldn't it be nice if this could happen if that could happen and then you get to that bridge of uh you know where we could be married and then we'd be happy you know uh, wouldn't it be nice and just wonderful wonderful idea of what he's trying to talk about and um a lot of it tony asher has said comes right from brian wilson just talking so even though tony asher did write the lyrics and make it his he will fully admit that a lot of the imagery and a lot of the specifics of it um, is based on what Brian Wilson told him or what he and Brian Wilson talked about, which is very important for all this. Uh, The second track is You Still Believe in Me, which, um, again, talks about... um, It's kind of someone... It's kind of a song about a man who feels free to express his love for people but it's but and Brian Wilson has said it seems to be sung from the perspective of a girl and uh, you know it's kind of to me uh, you still believe in me is the, the 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 guy is screwed up the guy I don't know if he cheated or if there was infidelity or anything like that but he basically did something and he's thanking the woman for being for saying, you know, at least you still believe in me. And the heartbreaking part of this song is that I want to cry near the end. That and that it's perfect illustration of the vocal ability that the Beach Boys have. Because even though Brian Wilson is hearing all of it, he had to teach them what he wanted them to do. And also, most of it is Brian Wilson at the very top. This is where you can hear his high, high falsetto. And this is where you can hear it at its peak. This is the brilliant part. And this is, it, it, it's not the last time you hear it um, on the record or on any of the other songs, but it's the most brilliant of, of him just singing, I want to cry. You know, it's, 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 believe me, it's amazing. 
and uh, and so the next song is then that's not me and it's basically a young man talking about self-discovery and uh, there's a lot of key modulations which is interesting because um, if you listen to it it changes keys so much that you wonder how you can even teach something like this you can't be taught how to modulate keys in the middle of songs you have to feel it so Brian Wilson sat at a piano and just played the song and just felt what he felt and it could have been a change and that comes with later because he gets diagnosed as a bipolar schizophrenic that probably is where it comes from and this is how he orders everything out in his head um um, but that's another beautiful song. Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, to me, sounds like one of those old-fashioned, like, early 1930s or 40s songs. It doesn't feel like the era of the 60s. It really doesn't. You know, don't talk, put your head on my shoulder. Um, it really sounds like it could have been written along with, you know brother can you spare a dime or something um but again it's still so it's so beautiful how he does it and the harmonics and if you break it down there's so much complexity it seems like a simple song it really does but nothing with brian wilson is simple i've even tried playing some of the stuff on my guitar and it's really hard to do <laughs> it's very hard to do um and then the next song after that is I'm Waiting for the Day, which I think has one of the best... It's jazzy, as as Brian Wilson says, but I love the, the drums in it. Uh, I'm waiting for the day when you will love again. You know, it goes into this beautiful drum, and it's really a driving tune. Um, and it's it, to me, it sounds like a guy who's waiting for... A girl to be ready to to be in love again and there's some sadness in it because he's, he's willing to wait forever um but he and uh, but there's so much hope and encouragement and the funny thing is people the reviewers said that all the songs are sad even the happy ones are sad i don't see that i see that as hopeful there all these songs are hopeful um and then let's go away for a while is actually just an instrumental. Um, and it's so melodic. Um, it actually features 12 violins, pianos, four saxes, oboe, uh, vibraphones, and a Coca-Cola bottle used as a guitar slide. That is really true. Um, and it's one of those things that because there are no lyrics you can just listen to and you can just like take yourself away and just listen to the beauty of the music and that's I love that because there were lyrics written Tony Asher actually wrote lyrics for this but they went unused because Brian said I'm working I'm, I feel something else happening and I can see that like Brian Wilson is so unafraid of having a rock album because this is a rock album and having no lyrics just having it be uh, a, 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 a silent 
tune and I love that I really do I mean not to the extent of like Derek and the Dominoes with Layla but because it, there's a whole instrumental part at the end of it I'm talking about a whole instrumental part three to four minutes of instrumental that you can just listen and just enjoy I mean that's amazing and very brave to try to do that on a rock album at that time uh, the, the song that comes after that is uh, Sloop John B and Sloop John B is actually a traditional Caribbean folk song um, that the Kingston Trio actually played before then. And I guess Al Jardine was trying so hard to get Wilson to cover it. And I guess Wilson listened to it and immediately was like, okay, let's do it. Um, and actually, funny enough, uh, Wilson, Brian Wilson actually did say that he put Sloop John B on there so that the capital, the record company, wouldn't worry about the commercial appeal. Be like, okay, we're doing this song here. It's going to be, I'm going to do all the the bells and whistles that you want me to do to make it a little bit more of a hit and more of our realm. And, I mean, it's seafaring. It's kind of in the realm of the surfing and the ocean life. And, I mean, <laughs> just <laughs> the middle part of him going, uh, 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 this is the worst trip I've ever been on. Um, I've used that on <laughs> to make fun of people sometimes when I've gone on vacations and, you know, couples are arguing or whatever. I mean, say what you want about me, for those who know me. Um, when you go on vacation with me, which many people haven't, my wife has, um, that's actually the most calmest and most easiest I am because we're on vacation. I don't really worry about the small stuff. I don't. I roll with the punches. It, it's a lot easier. <laughs> My wife will probably agree with me that it's probably easier to be married to me when we're on vacation than any other time in the world. Um, but, you know, Sloop John B is a very good song. Then you get into the, I think, one of the greatest songs. I like, I would love this song to be played at my funeral. Let's put it that way. God Only Knows. God Only Knows is so brilliant. And the funniest thing, well, the greatest thing about this song, God Only Knows, is he, Brian Wilson has openly said he wrote this for his brother Carl to sing. You know, just... What's amazing about this, It, it God Only Knows is almost the precursor to another episode we'll be recording soon, uh, Without You from Rent. Which is basically saying the world is going to continue going on. Everything's going to continue. Um, you know, nothing's really going to change. You know, life is going to keep moving and, and what have you. But I don't know what's going to happen to me if you leave. Whether it means dying or whether it means going somewhere else or, you know, being with someone else. God only knows what will happen to me. You know what I mean? That's a beautiful thing. And I and it's actually very, very sad. And this is one of those, I will agree, the happy songs are sad. This is one of those. And I will absolutely understand that. But it's it's the greatest I still think it's one of the greatest songs ever written. And you know, Brian Wilson and Tony Asher did it wonderfully on this one. Um, I know there's an answer, which was originally uh, um, titled Hang On To Your Ego. Um, 
this is one where um, uh, Mike Love thought it was about drugs. And it's actually about someone being hesitant to tell people the way that they could live better. Um, and so it's not about drugs. It's actually about the opposite of drugs. But for some reason, it's just, it was so... I mean, the idea of just hang on to your ego is don't get ahead of yourself. You're not that great. You're not that important and still try to try to live in your hum, hum, humbleness and uh humility humil humility um if you will um here today is um it basically is an ex-boyfriend narrator who warns the listener of an inevitable heartbreak that will result in a newfound love and there's a beautiful base part that um, plays basically an octave higher than regular and you can hear it but it doesn't overshadow everything else like it's not obvious that you're listening to a bass that's a higher that's a higher octave than it should be or, or what have you and the fact that Brian Wilson was a bass player he knew how to utilize it and the one thing also about this whole album is that Brian Wilson knew how to utilize the studio he knew how to say alright, the studio, I can use the studio as an instrument and just play the whole thing like this. Um, and that's what he was doing. He was figuring all these little pieces and then slowly putting them together before they sounded right. And that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing to, to try to um, um, accomplish. And then Pet Sounds, of course, the song, um, which is funny enough that it was written to be a James Bond theme. And when you listen to it, it doesn't. It, it, it almost sounds like a, a James Bond theme, but it has a little bit more of the surfingness to it. Um, but I love it. I really do. Again, it's in that realm of. Um, you know, instrumental songs. Again, he's not afraid to have instrumental songs on his rock album. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's that's brilliant. And the fact that he's unafraid of that just shows how uh, you know how ahead of the game he was. Now, obviously, there were songs like Sleepwalk and you know um, uh, sounds of orchestral stuff, but he was putting it on a rock album and this is a very rocky rock and roll tune um so when you listen to this 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 really i i've listened to that on loop some days just because i love it i just wasn't made for these days is really brian wilson's song it's it becomes his his theme his his um answer to life in that he just wasn't meant for these times and it's a beautiful slight little song um just guy feels alienated and you have to realize i mean first of all he used a harpsichord in this in this song that's amazing but it's it's a brilliant brilliant song and it, i feel it definitely means a lot to 
Brian Wilson. And eventually it, it then... It makes sense later on that he wasn't made for these times and that he <laughs> should have gone, uh, you know, should have um, been sh born later or something. Um, so, and then the last album is Caroline No, which Brian Wilson has said is a song about the loss of innocence. And you can kind of hear it. Um... It's a love song, but it's a love song about sadness. And his wife was called Caroline. So you wonder if he really was singing about this. You know, where did your long hair go? Where's the girl I used to know? Um, it's a very sad, sad song. And, and, but it, but it's, and it's so heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's one of my favorite songs if i if i hear that on the radio i'm not changing the station you know what i mean that that caroline no it's one of those songs i wish i could sing i don't have the 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 uh singers call the uh the uh breath air or i i don't have the ability to hold those notes high because those are high notes being held for you know eight beats at a time um so I don't have the ability to sing that song. But if I was a singer, I would spend my lifetime just continuously singing that song because I love that. That's my, I think that's my favorite. Um, right after Pet Sounds and right after um, Wouldn't It Be Nice. And even um, uh, Still Believe in You. And if you want a real good snapshot of how this was made, there's a um, making of the album... Um, that covers Pet Sounds, and there's also in that in the movie Love and Mercy, which again another, uh, we'll talk about in the future episode. Um, uh, uh, they illustrate Brian Wilson trying to do the best. I mean, he wasn't trying; he he was driven to just do really good work, and I admire that, but also I respect that, but also I want to do that. Like it was funny right after Pet Sounds, I immediately started try to work on my own pet sounds and write these things and you realize halfway through while you're trying to conceive it and come up with a story and all that stuff that you really can't get there that's a peak that you'll that no one will ever climb you know the Beatles were close with Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper and the White Album but even still you can't climb to that top I mean it's pet sounds is the highest that album I could listen to every day all the time and never get tired or bored of it. It's probably the only album I would be able to do that with. Um, and, you know, like I said, this this episode was about breaking down the songs, breaking down the album, and just talking about the enjoyment of the album as opposed to knocking it down. Are there things that are... Are there bits that I kind of do want to skip? Yeah, you know... Um, uh, uh, because I'm a rock musician, I like the faster tunes a little bit, but I do love the slower tunes. Um, I just wasn't meant for this time. Uh, these times, a lot of times, I do kind of skip over that just because, you know, I want to listen to one of the other songs because I love it more. But I love the album, and the album says so much. And when you get into the history of Brian Wilson, the album really 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 says a lot about 
um, about a lot of things, and there's a lot going on. And so I really think people should uh, not just appreciate it, but also discover this album a lot more. Um, and um, and I, so I, that's why I wanted to talk about it to you today. I really did. And uh, and uh, I really appreciate you all listening in. Um, again, if you haven't listened to Pet Sounds, please, please, excuse me, please do so. And... Um, you can message me, and in fact, I have now put my new email on uh, attach it to my anchor. So if anyone has any requests, so here's how I want to do it: if anyone has any requests of movies, theater productions, or theater shows, or albums that they want me to talk about, that they want to have my opinion on. Um, if there's something that maybe I haven't listened that I, and I will listen to for you or, or see or what what have you, um, you can email me at matthew.garlin, G-A-R-L-I-N, at gmail.com, and I will take those uh, requests. And if you want to support the, the channel, uh, you know, subscribe to Anchor, please. Um, and, uh, like I said, listen to Mass Mouse fans. Um, a new episode is going to drop soon, I think. We just recorded it last night. Um, so that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and just listen for, look out for the next couple episodes. But please, if you, if you can support the channel, it, it, it goes a long way to even just throw a buck to me every month. I mean, it, it really allows me to continue doing this and continue doing what I love to do, which is talk about things. Um, and as I said on the last Mass Mouse Fans uh, podcast episode, um, this is cheaper than therapy. So, but yeah, if you have any albums, any songs, any artists you want me to check out and listen to or, or what have you, you can, again, email me at matthew.garland at gmail.com. Or if you have any feedback about the podcast, if you have any things that you, you know, you're aching to talk to me about, I will answer all emails. So please uh, feel free to email me at matthew.garland at gmail.com. Um, but thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, and I really appreciate you um, being a fan and, and following along the way. Um, but thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. But thank you so much. When you're looking to plan your next Disney World, Disneyland, or Disney Cruise Line vacation, we suggest you reach out to Danielle Elliott at Marvelous Mouse Travels. Danielle is a long, uh, lifelong Disney enthusiast, a former Walt Disney World cast member, and a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge. When you book with her, your booking includes 100% free concierge-level services, uh, some of which include customizing the perfect Disney vacation package for your, you and your family and your budget, uh, booking those difficult-to-secure fast passes and dining reservations, uh, providing tips and tricks to get out the most of your vacation, and more. Uh, Danielle also monitors Disney promotions to help you save money for those uh, Disney trip veterans still be in control of all the details. Danielle will take care of all your needs so you can have all the fun and truly say Akuna Matata throughout your time at Disney. Contact her for your free quote at danielle.elliot at marvelousmousetravels, one word, dot com, or by messenger, messen, messaging her on her Facebook page.